Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff this show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Hello and welcome to Loser Like Me, a Glee recap podcast. I'm Tanner. I'm Christina. And this week we are watching the fourth episode of the first season of Glee, Preggers. Yes, it is Preggers, it, which is an absolutely lovely title, if we, if we are allowed to say so. It's, it's the sarcasm certainly up there. is inherent in my voice. <laughs> it is certainly up there in title quality. This episode was directed by Brad Falchuk and was also written by him. So hopefully that means that this episode is going to be pretty cohesive, all things considered. And <laughs> or as, was... co- as cohesive as Glee can get. Yeah. <laughs> and it aired on September 23rd, 2009. So the, uh, if, if you're taking any grains of salt with this show, that's where you date them to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If, if there's any... I didn't see any context during this episode that made it relevant to 09, but... If that's something that you think of, that you care or think about, the more you know, I guess. <laughs> Big 2009 vibes. Mm-hmm. So I'll be honest here. Um, I told Tanner before we started recording, um, I literally finished watching the episode about 10 minutes ago, so it's very fresh for me. And also, I might be a little bit more scatterbrained because I haven't had time to organize my thoughts. So... That's fine. I watched it yesterday. Uh, I shoved it, managed to shove it in between going to a games night and coming back from a shopping trip. Oh, Wow. I managed to sh- I managed to shove it in between between editing another podcast, eating dinner, and then recording this one. So. Oh, mood. <laughs> yeah. So you're you were mentioning uh, dating things to th- well, I mentioned dating things two thousand nine, and you're like, is there anything in here that dates it? Well, yes. There's the meme dance. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Now, okay. The question was, did um what did. Did the meme status of of the dance predate Glee, or did it post-date Glee? The dance on its own definitely came before Glee, well, but yeah. doing it at sporting events, I think, was inspired by Glee. Yes, definitely. Should we should we actually like start talking about the episodes so we can say what we're referring to? Let's let's begin. So the episode begins. Uh, with Kurt dancing in his bedroom in a singlet, uh, flanked by Brittany, the cheerleader, and Tina, the goth girl, and they're dancing mm-hmm. to Beyonce's signal, sing, single ladies. Yes, signal ladies. <laughs> um, yeah, I, see, I you just like... said signal ladies, and that's probably no. what I'm going to be saying all episode no, two. I, no, I said that because you were stumbling over it. <laughs> oh, okay. See, it's such an easy, easy goof, I can't even tell if it's intentional or not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel like we should note that Kurt is film that they're filming themselves dancing. <laughs> I don't know if it's like, is this for a self tape or something? Is this just like Kurt wanted to tape them dancing just for funsies, which is valid. But I'm like, why? Knowing Kurt, especially knowing him later in the series, he's probably going to do instant replays and criticize the whole thing. Okay. Himself included. Okay. Okay. He's going to go through frame by frame. And here's where we went wrong. Yeah, well, that is a that is certainly not an illogical thing to do with filming. 
And we should mention that they're all really good at doing it, mostly because, um, mostly because, oh god, I can't remember the actress's, Heather Morris. Yes. Um, mo- mostly because Heather Morris, in fact, did dance with Beyonce, which deserves to be mentioned because she's really good at it. And then she got hired just so that she could teach them to dance, and then they were like, we like you, you're staying. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to. You get to and be she che- did. You get to be Cheerio number three. Yes. It's not like you'll. Name. It's not like you'll get a huge character arc later in the show or anything. Mm-hmm. It's not like people will actually like you. <laughs> Anyways, um, the music gets cut off when Kurt's dad shows up, mm-hmm. played by the incomparable Mike O'Malley. Yes, and I feel like we maybe should. Um, do we want to talk about how Bert is really great and he gets better? Um, do we want to talk about that before or after this scene? <laughs> Bert. Uh, Let's let's wait until the end to do the full character analysis on Bert. Okay. That we've okay. gleaned from a single episode. Okay, cool. So so Bert, uh yes, Kurt's dad, Bert. Um, because someone in the writer's room was just completely out of ideas when they were coming up with this episode. <laughs> I'm not saying that Brad came up with it, but I'm saying that someone was out of ideas. Yeah. That he gets home and he is literally like Every single cliche that you can think of relating to, I'm going to use my personal benchmark for this, Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> um, he, he looks like he walked straight out of a Bass Pro Shop, fully formed like Aphrodite from the Seafoam. <laughs> um, he came home early and interrupted the dance because Deadliest Catch was on. <laughs> Yeah. And he he needs Kurt to be quieter so that he can listen to Deadliest Catch. So yeah, um, you can probably kind of tell um, how deftly Bert's character is being created for his first appearance in the series. It's, it's a little bit Bass Pro, a little bit Trucker, and a little bit Lumberjack. Yes. You mash it all together and you get the dad who walks into the room and you immediately know that he is a heterosexual. Yes, he he is in fact a heterosexual. And he reinforces this by asking why Kurt is wearing... A sit- the singlet that he's wearing, and Kurt says it's because it wicks sweat away from the body, <laughs> in in just an in an absolutely incredible display of yes and. They manage to persuade Bert that Kurt is wearing this because Tina and Brittany are helping him with conditioning for the football team. Yes, and because Brittany says that he's on the football team, and Kurt looks like he looks incredibly alarmed. <laughs> He's the kicker, because they're the smallest on the team. They're wired away. Hmm? They're wired away. Yes, they are. <laughs> um, and then, of course, because he is a heterosexual, Bert asks um, which of the two girls is is Kurt's girlfriend. And I uh, something I appreciated was that Kurt appeared to weigh his options between Tina and Brittany of which one of them is going to hate me less for this. <laughs> because he he then uh, smacks Tina on the butt and says that they're not exclusive, which was... <laughs> the, Kurt, Kurt does extremely quick mental mathematics and is like, well, I've known Tina for longer and she is a little bit of a pushover. Sorry, Tina. Yeah, yeah. But then Bert says, okay, I guess just uh, keep practicing and, and get me tickets to your first game you have. And then they like do like a slow zoom in on Kurt after Bert goes up the stairs and you can see the hope fading from Kurt's eyes. Oh no, I have to do a sports. Yes. He must, he must become what he fears the most. A jock. 
Yeah, I'm glad I never had to do a, a plot like that, a reverse Billy Elliot plot. Do you, are are you saying that you're glad that you never had to do that in real life, or yes, or okay, okay? I was like, is this fiction or real? No, well, because well, because the Billy Elliot plot is so High School Musical is a Billy Elliot plot, but this episode mm-hmm. is the reverse Billy Elliot, where the the flamboyant campy kid has to do a sports in order to impress their dad. Okay, that makes more sense. Yes. I've only ever seen Billy Elliot once, and I feel like I might have left at intermission because I was seeing it for free, and in the very, very back of the theater. (laughs) I left because I didn't seem like they were going to do anything about Spider-Man, so... The joke is that Tom Holland was Billy Elliot. Oh, okay. I did not know that, actually. Sorry. (laughs) I was like... It crashed and burned, just like the Spider-Man musical play. R.I.P.I.P. Anyways, as, as in a... rest in peace, intellectual property. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, can we talk about the the Degardis, the Diagardis? Yes. Uh, we we don't we don't want to, but we probably should address them. Can can we talk about baby crimes? <laughs> yes. So, um. The next scene is Will and Terry playing labor with Kendra, who is also there. With wine. <laughs> yes, of course, with wine. Um, Kendra reads Will for filth. <laughs> she says, Will, you she says, you have to be liked, Will. You're nice and supportive and you avoid conflict. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is very true. But yeah, she basically tells him, like, when when you are in a relationship with someone who is going to be delivering a baby, everything that they need is more important than your own needs. And, like, that's not necessarily a bad rule of them, but it's definitely not always right. It's one of those don't suit, shoot the message, or not even that. It's just, I agree with the text of what you're saying, but the fact that you're saying it makes me concerned. Yeah, yeah, because Terry has, like, she pretends to have, like, an emotional breakdown, so Will goes away to make a sandwich or whatever, um, because subverting gender norms. Because Kendra's gonna, like, show Will how to rub air bubbles out of the womb or something. Yeah. And then Terry, like, shoos them away from touching her stomach and, like, gets Will to go make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yes, subvert the gender norms. Yes, yes. In, in Glee, the men make the sandwiches. <laughs> We're all in this together. Yes. So at this point, Terry reveals the fake, the, what, I'm just going to go ahead and use the term that they will use for it later, Babygate. <laughs> she lets Kendra in on Babygate. And Kendra immediately says, no, you don't. Milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> Because in case you didn't know, she's not a good person. <laughs> and like, I do want to like compliment Jessalyn Gilsig, who plays Terry, for her acting in the scene. Because like, I was like, this is actually like a really good dramatic scene. She's doing a good job with this. <laughs> yeah, Jessalyn Gilsig, very good at acting. Yes, very good at acting, despite the, the material that she's having to work with here. Um, but yeah, this uh, this scene basically ends with Kendra saying, "Hey, let's steal a baby." <laughs> Yes, like, oh, hey, if <laughs> if your body won't naturally make a baby, store-bought is fine. <laughs> <laughs> All of which is to say that um, this this begins, honestly, one of the most convoluted plots that I can honestly think of in Glee, and it's not super great, but whatever. <laughs> I love it. 
she she's just gonna go steal a baby like she's a freaking evil fairy or something i guess <laughs> i mean i can enjoy it for what it is because they're not saying it's a good thing yes and i think that was kind of the attitude i adopted for this episode and going forward especially considering they were still writing this as some kind of weird black comedy in the first season yeah that's true that's true, because there there are extreme moments of black comedy in here that I realize that Ryan Murphy was not necessarily, he wasn't the head writer on this episode, but there's definitely like the Ryan Murphy stank here. <laughs> oh no. But like, I've, I've come to accept that a lot of things about, at the very least, the first 13 episodes, and I'm still going to hold them accountable, but I've accepted the fact that things like baby theft and the existence of Sandy Ryerson, we're not supposed to see those and say, yes, this is a good thing. They're never portrayed as positives. Okay. The message you're supposed to take away is, these are terrible people who are getting away with terrible things because the system is broken. Yeah, I have not yet reached that point. I might in the next few episodes. We'll see. <laughs> to be continued. Um... Yeah, so do do we want to do you want to start the next scene or do you want me to start the next scene? In the next scene, Will has no friends as he deserves. He walks into the cafeteria or the the staff room and there's no open seats except for like one table with the guy who I don't know why Will doesn't want to sit with that guy. He, Does he smile he, too weird? He looks like Toby from the office. I don't know US which ed- one that is. US edition. He's I, in in the office, the US edition, he's like He's kind of just like the friend that no one wants, the coworker that no one wants to sit with. Okay. So, that's my only point of reference. I managed to dodge the office. It's okay. I pretty much did too. the The only real knowledge I have of the office is that Phyllis and Jenna Fisher are both from St. Louis, and I've actually met Phyllis on two occasions, and she's a very nice person. Cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Will doesn't know where to sit. Um, which seat can I take? So he ends up sitting next to Emma and Ken. We're sitting there, not talking. Just like all couples. Yep. Emma mentions that she was watching the local news, and Ken says something real actually that was like really insightful, which is like, you prefer to watch local news because when you watch like national or global news, the the disasters are so interesting. And you want to tear yourself away from them, but you can't. And she's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, uh, I'm not going to tell you how accurate that is. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so the local news. Uh, yeah, the local news has a new segment. And because of that, welcome to our new segment, Sue's Corner Corner. Yes, the Sue's, the Sue's Corner Corner. It's the part of the show where we talk about what Sue did in this part of the show. Yes, this is the episode where we where we recap the in-universe news segment that Sue Sylvester has on the local news for Lima, Ohio. I mean, there's not much to it. The first, she says she wants to bring back caning. Yeah, it's the 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 segment is in in universe called "That's How Sue Sees It," um, but it's it's just kind of like a oh hey we're gonna we're gonna give Jane Lynch a, a scene to monologue at the camera about whatever whatever topics we pull out of a hat. Yeah. But because Sue Sylvester is Sue Sylvester, she immediately arrives at uh she arrives at the table with the other four named coworkers to gloat about her spot on the local news station and she 
Liz is like, oh, like, I'm so much better than you because I didn't end up stuck working at a high school over 40 and single with mental illness. And I'm like, well, you are working at a high school. You are probably over 40. And as far as we know, you're still single. <laughs> so pot meat kettle. Yeah. And, and yeah, she, she flexes about doing a satellite interview and having high ratings. For a new job, because she's getting out of William McKinley High School. Because she's a, she's a cheerleading championship coach, cheer coach. She's the best. I'd like to make the point here that, like, maybe applying too much logic to Glee, but if she was truly as successful a cheerleading coach as she is, she could probably quit and just go judge cheerleading competitions, or, like, do commentary for those, because that's something that makes a lot of money in the United States. <laughs> You know, it's probably more fun for her to mess with teenagers. Oh, yes, probably. I have a note here that also maybe, that depending on your definition, Sue may or may not have some kind of, some kind of mental disorder. <laughs> probably egomania. Yeah, I don't know if you count egomania or narcissism as a disorder. I, I don't know. I only took one psychology class in college. I am absolutely not qualified to talk about this in any kind of Same. official way. <laughs> yeah. So, Rachel is concerned because the song that they just got is in the wrong key. But then Will mm -hmm. announces that Tina is getting a solo from West Side Story mm -hmm. and Rachel is about to light herself and the room on fire because <laughs> yes. she has a very deep personal connection to the role of Maria. Yes, um, because according to Rachel, I cannot confirm or deny this, um, the role of Maria in West Side Story was originated by a woman of Jewish faith. And I'm like, I, I don't know any different. But also, Rachel Rachel is, I am said when not am about me. I literally wrote that later on in my notes. Hey, Are we drift compatible yet? Yes, I think so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, she storms out in a huff because... But, because... Oh, sorry, finish what you were going to say. Well, I, I, I trailed off because I realized that, hey, you know who else might be drift compatible? Rachel and Sue. Oh my god, no, we do not need to... Well, maybe we'll, we'll make that a bonus episode. Does Rachel ever join the Cheerios? I don't think so. I don't think she did, which is wild. Yeah, really. Um, But yeah, Rachel storms out because she's upset. Artie makes a clip about how like every time she storms out, it has less and less effect, which is the same policy that I have towards swearing. <laughs> that That's a valid... Uh... Valid criticism. I'm pretty sure this is Artie's only line. In the episode, yes. I Also, I think Mercedes only gets one line in this episode, which is in the same scene, where she's mad how she's been cast as a jet. Yeah. But on the positive note, the rest of the Glee Club is is happy for Tina that yes. she got a solo. And she, and, like, Will says, like, oh, like, and the solo is going to Tina, and you see her, like, perk up. And I'm like, yes! I wonder if Kurt went to Will and was like, I needed to give Tina a solo because I smacked her on the ass to convince my dad I was straight, which I am. Oh, that's interesting. I like that take, Tanner. Also, because I feel like Kurt, like just Kurt, Kurt telling Will which people should get solos would be a very interesting, like, look to take through the season or the half season even. Yeah. Hang on. Let me make my notes for my ultimate Glee fanfic. I mean, go go for it. <laughs> the glee boot, if you will. Oh, no. Uh, speaking of Kurt, he goes up to Finn and uh, asks for some help. And Finn says that he already has a date to the dance, 
but he's flattered and he knows how important dances are to teen gays. <laughs> yes, which is like, that is a stereotypical Finn, sweet and dumb thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and also because Kurt's like, how does, why does everyone think that I'm not heterosexual? But turns out that the favor is that Kurt now needs to do football because he is, he is in too deep and he doesn't want to lie to his dad any more than he already is. <laughs> Dada got kicked off the team for being too good. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's not going to work. He needs to try and get on. Thankfully, though, we get to have a fun, cute little scene with Kurt and Finn when, like, as Kurt is, like, trying to get ready. And he's kind of, you can tell he's nervous. And Finn is like, okay, first off, put your helmet on. <laughs> and then second, just relax. You're not going to do any worse than the current kicker is doing. <laughs> and Puck is upset, but we don't care about Puck in this episode. I care about Puck a little in this episode. Okay, I'm 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 curious to see where the care part comes in when we get to it. I I I do really like Puck as a character, and we've we've reached the point where his character arc starts. That's true. It is that starting is from ground zero, but it is beginning. Yeah. Also, all of these are a good majority of these football players look like they are narcs. So jot that down. Yeah. So they they have to get a new kicker because their kicker is terrible. And so Kurt literally comes up to Ken, taps him on the shoulder and says, Hi, my name is Kurt Hummel and I'll be auditioning for the part of kicker. Because God bless him, he's just he's just musical theater through and through. Yeah. But then he actually like he gets to play his single ladies music and he does a really good he does a really good kick. Well, first he does the whole last dance. Yeah, that's true. And then he does the kick, and the music fades out dramatically, and everyone's like, oh, he's got legs, and he knows how to use them. <laughs> yes. I think Ken literally said, like, you can wear a tutu if you can kick like that when we're in a football game. <laughs> Which is like, okay, I guess that's fine. And then he introduces Kurt as the new kicker, and Kurt waves like Clarice Rinaldi from The Princess Diaries. Yes, he does. He does the he does the he does the single hand rotate while keeping the rest of your arm and shoulder completely straight. Thank you for being here today. Yes. We get a Sue scene. Yeah. I have minimal notes for the Sue scene after this. Here's what I say. Yeah. She's pro littering, and she needs to win nationals to continue keeping her segment because she's a champion. <laughs> Yes, the, the Sue gets fan mail and hate mail from the TV station, which delivers it to her to her day job, I guess. But the whoever this person is from the TV station, he mentions he's the network that, head. Oh, okay, the network head. Thank you. Um, the network head mentions that his daughter goes to William McKinley High School, and she says that people have been defecting to Glee. <laughs> Which which incenses Sue, and so now she is even more determined for blood than she was in the previous episode. I am just a little wild in that Sue managed to get a, a network head of the local television show to deliver mail to her, personally. But let's be real here. Sue Sylvester, the with all of her narcissism or egomania or whatever you want to call it, she she would find a way to do that because, as we will see later on in this episode, Sue is very good at blackmail. Yeah, Sue definitely seems like the kind of person who has a red phone underneath her desk that she could dial in order to put hits on someone, and the mm -hmm. only reason I know that she doesn't have one of those is because Will survives the series. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. Anyway, it's Prager's time. Yeah, so here we get into more of the drama of the episode. Um, this episode is kind of... 
Do you feel like it's all over the place tonally? I've, I feel like it has a point, but it, it kind of like goes through a lot of stuff before it kind of siphons to the point at the end of the show. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, in in this scene, Finn goes up to Quinn in the hallway because she hasn't been talking to him. And I, I appreciate that his first reaction is to apologize for whatever he did wrong without realizing it. It's like, good job, Finn. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a good episode for Finn. Yeah, so they, they talk. Um, Quinn tells him that she's pregnant. And Finn, like, dis- Finn dissociates for, like, a solid 30 seconds. Like, the audio even mutes out and everything. And he's just kind of like looks around with like wild eyes yeah um and then this is where the uh the science gets real wonky because <laughs> because quinn takes advantage of the fact that finn is sweet and dumb and tells him that because they were in a hot tub kissing and he ejaculated in the hot tub she got pregnant because it's the perfect temperature for the sperm yes. to get all the way up in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> And she, but my favorite part of that scene, my favorite part is where Finn starts to, like, climax, and Quinn realizes what's happening, and starts smacking him, and says, Mailman! Think of the mailman! Yeah. See, my favorite part about this scene is that Quinn, because it is 2009-2009, Quinn says that she asked Jeeves about it. <laughs> oh my god! Because this was back when Ask Jeeves was still a functional website. God, I didn't even realize... Oh, I was about to say I didn't realize he was around that recently, but that was over a decade ago, so... Yeah, yeah. And Finn asks if Quinn's gonna get an abortion, and she says no, because, of course, she's a capital G good, capital C Christian, capital G girl. Yeah, well, she... Yay. She doesn't say it like that. She just says that she can't, and it's the implication. Also, uh, not to part the curtain too much, but if Quinn didn't keep the baby, then there'd be no baby to steal. Because if you're keeping track of what kind of show this is, you should know where this is going. Yup! Before we get there, though, we have to have an absolutely terrifying scene with one of our least favorite characters, Sandy Ryerson. <laughs> this is Haunted Doll Watch. <laughs> yeah, I had that one too. I literally have Suvis Sandy, all caps, Haunted Doll Watch. Because we get to see the inside of Sandy's house where he has, in fact, a wall of probably haunted porcelain dolls. And he walks around his house in a kimono and gold metallic Crocs. Oh, I didn't notice the Crocs because the kimono itself was so distracting. Yeah, I like, I... I was like, is he wearing, like, actual, you know, correct usage wooden sandals? But nope, he's wearing, he's wearing metallic gold Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> I think my parents threw out my Crocs without me looking. Good. No, they're comfy. They, they have their certain uses, such as using them when you're in the pool or in a river situation. Or maybe gardening. But, like... Not when paired with a kimono. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Which I realize is the point of the costuming. <laughs> so let's let's break down this scene. Because there's a lot to get through. But basically, Sue yeah. is visiting Sandy in order to get his help in dismantling Glee Club. 
She mm-hmm. does that by having him reinstated as the head of arts at McKinley. And she does that yes. by blackmailing Figgins with an old video of him putting on compression socks for Mumbai Airlines. Yeah. And then the next phase of their plan is that they're going to stage Cabaret and basically poach Rachel from Glee Club by <laughs> having her audition yes. specifically with the Celine Dion song. Yes, it's literally like they 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 put up they put up a cardboard box with a stick under it and a sign <laughs> that points saying like Celine Dion and Liza Minnelli autographs pointing in towards it and Rachel says, "Ooh, yes, please." And you know, a lot of people say that Rachel is a good successor to Barbara Streisand and that's something I can get behind, but I don't think she has the range for Celine. No. No, she's not country enough. Country? So, so Celine Dion has, she has a certain, like, con- I, I say that in the sense of, like, she's, she has a certain, like, country soul to her that, like, singing extremely, like, from the heart. Okay. From, from someone who is not Celine Dion versed, <laughs> that's that's what I'm taking from it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Country is probably the last word I'd use to describe Celine Dion. <laughs> so I that okay. was a little taken aback. Because she's a ballad. Oh. I'll wave my white flag. She she's a ballad person. I'm I'm going to stop trying to define Celine Dion to a Canadian. <laughs> she is Celine Dion. <laughs> Tanner keeps like whacking their chest and like saluting the sky every time I, they say Celine Dion. Apparently name. apparently that was the meme back in the day with the Canadians. I I don't even know where it's from. I just picked it up from my parents. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so all of that aside, we get to see and we get to see on audition scene with uh, where Rachel gets to sing "Taking Chances," an extremely abbreviated version of it. Um, but Leah Michelle does a really good job with this song. Like, kudos to her. Well, she does a really good job for her kind of voice, but I like Celine's better. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe I like it because it's not the se- just the second half of a chorus and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it is, ex- it is an extremely abbreviated version. The The albums have the full, like, the full actual version of it and not just, like, one chorus and call it good. So if you're interested, it's out there. Also, this is the only song, like, released and even sang in the show. Hmm? Uh, Taking Chances was the only song... Oh, no. It was the only song released for this episode. Oh, okay. Okay. I did not parse what you said at first, so thank you for the clarification. There was only one other song actually sung in this episode. Yeah, that's true. This is an extremely music light episode. Yeah. Because remember, this is the this is back in season one where they weren't pumping out five songs an episode in order to get the sweet, sweet mm-hmm. uh, download money. Yeah... Which I I understand that, because, listen, Glee putting out the songs is like Power Rangers putting out the toys. It's the reason it lasted as long as it did. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very true. But yeah, we kind of do like some flip-flopping within the next couple of scenes, because it switches between Will confronting Sandy, 
Sue and Figgins about the whole Sandy being reinstated. And also, Will is extremely upset that they're doing a school musical. (laughs) And he knows that Sue's behind it. Yeah. (laughs) But he doesn't have all the evidence, so he can't, you know, do a flat-out parlor accusation scene with Sue in Figgins' office. Yeah. Figgins get to say, Sandy's never been formally charged with anything, which is, great look, Figgins. How how do Hank Saunders' parents feel about this? I feel like they left the state. Honestly, that'd be a good call. Yeah. Hashtag dresses for Hank. This is then intercut with a scene where Rachel is practicing bar in the dance studio that William McKinley High School apparently has. I I don't think this is in the school. I think this is like a separate building that Will has come to to confront her. Okay, that's a little bit creepy coming to talk to your students outside of school hours because you know where they practice, but... Well, he is concerned that she's being poached by a child predator. <laughs> okay, that's fair, yeah. I take it back. <laughs> where he he talks more about teamwork than, hey, I think you're being... Oh god, groomed? Yeah. Yeah, so he he does make it about like, okay, like I understand that you like you you are talented. I will give you that, but we need to we need to get everyone else up to a certain level of competency. And she basically she says that she gets to be bossy and conceited because she's the best in the club. No. And she sees other people getting solos as her being punished. Yeah. Did did you know that Rachel is 16? <laughs> Teens. Oh, I wish I had that much confidence at 16. Yeah, same. If I had that much confidence, maybe I would have actually tried out for acting roles. <laughs> I probably would have pushed someone down a flight of stairs. Oh no, you got dark real quick. They would have deserved it. Oh, okay. Then we get to go we get to go see rehearsal with Tina cuz she gets to sing tonight. Tonight tonight da, 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 tonight. What you are, what you do, what you say. Today. I have the whole thing memorized and I'm not going to sing it cuz that would just be an extremely long interlude. But yeah, she gets to sing and I- I don't know about you, but I think that Tina did a really good job. And also, also, hi, Brad the Pianist. Hi, Brad the Pianist. Yeah, Tina did a really good job, except for the parts where the plot dictated she had to be sharp on. Yeah, yeah. They were, she does a great job, and then she kind of, like, it's it's something where you can really tell that Jenna Oshkowitz, in fact, could hit the high note at the end of tonight. But they said that she wasn't supposed to, so she kind of just went real soft and airy on the final note instead. Yeah. She just kind of deflates. Tonight! Yeah. I I have two notes about, like, the aesthetics of this. The first of which is that Tina is giving off serious Spider-Man vibes. Just a little bit. I mean, she does have the big red spider necklace, but... Yeah, but also, like, the black and, like, the black and lace and then, like, the, like, her blue hair accents and stuff. And I was like, that'd be cool. But also, how are they going to get... A, a ladder on stage for a show choir performance. You carry it out while everyone's moving around uh, to set up for the next number. Okay, that's fair. Listen, listen, I may not know much about stage blocking in show choir performances, but when I was writing my fanfic, the club managed to get two full lunch tables on stage during the last few bars of their first performance number, and then remove them during the end of the second number. No, they did keep them on, because they had to sign the VBOM. 
That takes talent. They were so good the way I pictured it in my head when I wrote it down and posted it on Glee Forum. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Will then gets to have a good teaching moment. So chalk one up for Will, I guess. Because he he does some good encouraging of Tina. Like, maybe you didn't get it, like, perfect this time, but that's okay, because we're still, we're still practicing, and I have faith that you can, that you can be really good with this. And then Tina nags herself. Yeah, yeah, which is not great. She, she basically says that he should have given the solo to Rachel, because we all know Rachel's the best, and, uh, Tina will just take one for the team. Oh, Tina, you don't have to fall on your sword like this, honey. But she does. She she thinks she does. She walks out and Will is like, dang, my kids have it rough. Good thing the only problems have to do with singing and show choir. And then Finn uh-huh. walks in. <laughs> and then Finn walks in. And this is honestly like another another good dramatic moment because Finn Finn walks in. He comes to the om- to the most to the only father figure that he has currently in his life. He used he to comes see his dad. And then he breaks down in tears on Will's shoulder, and we cr- and we get to have a good cry, and like also we get to have a good cry by a male character to another male character, yes. which like doesn't really happen a whole lot. Finn is seven feet tall, and it completely filled with emotions. Yeah, poor guy. So, the important question is: Does Will take him to breadsticks? I don't. I don't think breadsticks is formally established until season two. Sorry, okay. sorry if you're new here. We're getting into the deep glee lore about knockoff Olive Gardens. Yeah, really. Um, so yeah, they get to they get, Will takes Finn to dinner like father and son. It's the emergency teen pregnancy brunch. Yes, and the the fact that there are that. Both Will and Finn take notice of the same father and son that are eating at this restaurant. <laughs> because Brad Brad the writer was like, do you see? It's about symbolism. <laughs> yeah, so Finn, for one thing, he blames himself entirely for the situation. Which is, it's good, not in the sense that you sh- you should be blaming yourself but also it's good that he's not blaming Quinn yeah it's it's good that he is taking responsibility for his actions regardless of whether or not those actions are actually are not at fault oh man i didn't think about the mailman hard enough oh no <laughs> if only that hot tub had been 1 degree warmer exactly yeah he basically his his reasoning flow chart is that Quinn's keeping the baby, so he needs to be able to support her. To support Quinn, he needs to go to college. To afford college, he needs a scholarship. To get the scholarship, they need to win football games. In order to win the football game, Will has to teach the team how to dance like Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is... It, th- that, is a, that is a pretty good example of Finn logic, such as it is. Um, but he's not wrong? No, he, he's not wrong. Like at the and I think they even say at one point that like this football team, like they literally could do no worse than they are currently doing. Yeah. So they and like Finn even he did his research. He went to the library where did you know that they just let you borrow books from the library except the encyclopedias? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he mentions a famous athlete, Walter Payton. 
um, who apparently had, like, actually, like, a really good dance career, which is great. And Will realizes how much of a father-son thing this is, and then decides, yes, I am going to, to support my son, I mean student. Yeah. And also, at, th- at one point, Finn mentions that he wants to do his mom proud, which is why he's trying to go to college. And I'm like, yes, support Carol. <laughs> Carol will be proud of you no matter what. Yes. But yeah, so is this where the, the dance practice scene is? No, this is where um, this is where we get to have Will and Terry stock photo shoot. Oh, right. <laughs> It's a very short scene. It's literally like Will and Terry in matching white sleepwear brush their teeth in at the at the sink at the same time and talk to each other in the mirror about how Quinn is pregnant and she's ashamed. And Will thinks that it's terrible and Finn is really stressed out about it. And Terry's like, excuse me, what did you say her name was again? And you can... Like, you can see her doing, like, the How the Grinch Stole Christmas thing, where it's just, like, the smile just, like, just, like, just, like, screws up the sides of the face and, like, the hair curls, like, yes. How the Grinch Stole a Baby. (laughs) This is the child. The child. Yeah, see, this is an example of the Murphy stank (laughs) that I was talking about earlier. I would like to see the baby. And now we get to go to the football dance practice. Meme dance practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, Ken is basically on board because literally nothing else that the team has done has won them anything all season. Mm-hmm. And also, they don't mention it, but, like, Ken did learn some dance moves with the Acafellas, so... That's true. Oh, yeah, I did forget to mention that uh, earlier, when Will confronts Rachel about dipping on Glee Club, she throws the fact that he abandoned them for a boy band a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that, too. And he says, yeah, but I didn't do that out of spite. And I'm like, well... It wasn't out of spite. It was out of a desire to relive his glory days and to receive affirmation, which is not necessarily spite. But it was definitely egomania. Yes, yes. It was... It was not done to make other people angry. It was done to make himself feel good. (laughs) I think... Everyone on the show needs to learn to think more about the needs of others. Finn knew about that right out of the gate, and I think Will is mm-hmm. finally starting to discover that too. Yes, what a concept, right? It's amazing. So yeah, Kurt basically helps convince the team to do the dance because, hey, wouldn't you be freaked out if the opposing team started busting a move in front of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're like, okay, that's fine, but Puck has lots of... Puck complains loudly. In general. Yeah. But everyone overrules him. Um, They get to have dance practice in the choir room. Kurt ends up trying to teach them single ladies and actually doing a pretty good job because he's actually, like, talking them through the moves. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure a good chunk of the football players that we see here are dancers, like actual dancers. Oh my gosh, it was, yeah, featured in this dance scene are... Uh, are in addition to, you know, Finn and Puck, who we've met before, we also get to see uh, Mike Chang Jr. and Matt Rutherford. Um, and it is Mike Mike Chang Jr. is played by Harry Shum Jr. And Harry Shum Jr. is a phenomenal dancer, and it is hilarious to watch him be a bad dancer. But, but he gets into it. He does. He picks up the moves pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they were like, okay, Harry, that's enough pretending. You can actually now learn the dance. <laughs> And yeah, that dance, dance practice good. 
Um, yeah. But Finn's still kind of uh, awkward and weird. And Puck's like, is it because you're dating Kurt? Haha, <laughs> get it? I'm homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> and then Finn's like, no, it's because Quinn is preggers. And I'm sad. Yes. And then Puck immediately goes to confront Quinn about this. Because it turns out that actually they had sex. For real. Real sex, not not just the... Not... <laughs> Not 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 hot tub pseudo sex. They had real sex. Not Schrodinger's jacuzzi sex. Real sex. Yes, uh, and he says a line which I do find genuinely funny, which is "Call the Vatican. We got ourselves another immaculate conception." As a Catholic, I find that funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's the delivery, really. It it is good delivery. And she basically has to grab him and drag him out of the hallway. <laughs> Oh, she looked like she was gonna like pull him into a hallway, like separate him into several several disparate pieces, and then continue on with the rest of her school day, and probably get like a merit from Sue for showing up practice covered in blood. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> but no, she uh, instead she emotionally uh, dismantles him. Yes. By basically telling Puck that he's always gonna be a Lima loser, mm-hmm. and Finn at least has the potential to go places. Mm-hmm. And she loves him, and she knows he'll be a good dad. Yeah. To it, and Puck's response is like, I'm gonna be a good dad because my dad was shit, and I know how to not be. Yes, and he also says, I'm gonna- I can support you with my pool cleaning money. Now, to be fair, he does have a leg up on Finn on account of the pool job. Yeah, that's true, but like- it, you you know that I I don't remember if this happens or not, but I feel like if Carol freaking Hudson was made aware of this, she would immediately be like, okay, like we're gonna get this taken care of. We're gonna go get Finn a job that he can do, and that he can do around football, and we're gonna work on making money, and we're gonna just make sure that you're supported, Quinn. Yeah, Carol is great. Carol, she's not even in this episode, but her power is felt. Yes, her power her power is palpable. Do you, want, do you want to talk about this next scene? So after, <laughs> Which has a lot of Murphy stank. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so good. Ah, oh, give me that stank. <laughs> Quinn runs out of the school crying in the rain because yes. uh, in this universe your emotions control the weather. Uh, she runs oh, into her God, car yes. and is bawling and then Terry's there in the passenger seat <laughs> like a slasher yes. movie villain. <laughs> Yes, Terry is immediately there and she's staring at she's staring at Quinn with this extremely calculating look in her eyes. She doesn't blink much in this scene and she just says like, "How many weeks along are you? Are you taking vitamins yet? You should be taking a multivitamin 3 times a day. Here, I got them for you." Take them or your baby will come out ugly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. And this is the part where I had in my notes that Terry is in Quinn's car and immediately starts grooming her. God, Which fuck. is cuz this is this is terrifying. Adults do not interact. No. <laughs> the only valid adults are Bert, Carol, and Will, and I think Will is only for this season. Is Emma allowed to be valid? Oh yes, Emma's always valid. I forgot about that. Okay, cool. Emma has never done anything wrong in her life. Yet. I, I, don't, I don't think. I think she remains the only morally upstanding character in the whole show. I, I feel like there might be something, but we'll get there when we get there. Okay. Um, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, really. Anyways, 
Quinn's like, what are you doing in my car, and what do you want with me? And Terry just smiles, and the whole audience is like, yes, we know exactly where this is going. Yes. Okay, Ryan Murphy, feed it to me like grapes. Yes, we can We can all tell that Terry is there to ask for the baby. And at this point, I don't remember if Terry, like, tells Quinn, like, okay, I'm pretending to be pregnant so that you're... But I need you to give me your baby so that your Spanish teacher and also Glee Club teacher doesn't know that I'm not actually pregnant. No, she doesn't say anything. It just, Quinn asks what she wants, Terry smiles, and it's the next scene. Yeah, which is... <laughs> so so we immediately whip slash cut to time for big game. Time for big sports ball to happen. I know very little about football. Here's the only thing I picked up on from the scene before anything important happened. Is that one of the plays that they do is called Punch and Judy, which are the wooden puppets that beat each other up in the children's theater in Britain? Mm-hmm. That's all I got. Yeah. They, um, we get to have a fun little, like, pan through as they all get ready for our big game. Emma is spot cleaning the bleachers, and I'm like, Emma, honey, that's not gonna do anything. Yeah. I've sat on bleachers at a high school football game. There's nothing you can do to protect you from tetanus. <laughs> They, we get to have a nice fun shot of Ken picking out a whistle from his, like, foam-lined case of whistles. <laughs> There's magic in these whistles. Yeah. Finn tries to give an inspiring speech to his team. Um, Puck complains so much that I think the word gay is used every other word in his lines in this scene. Yeah. He's like, oh, like, we can't be gay. Like, we can't, we can't sing and dance on the field because I'd be gay. Being gay is bad. Blah, 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 blah. Gay. You know, like, I think, are you are you compensating for something, Puck? Yeah, I think this episode is why Puck and Kurt was the number one slash pairing for a good chunk of this season. Oh my god! Two thousand nine, baby. Yep, yep. So anyway, the the opposing football team does yo mama jokes at William McKinley High School. Their football team gets creamed. Bert gets to the football game late. No, he got there in time. No, no, I mean, like, he didn't get there, like, right when it's... He didn't get there as the game started. He got there, like, at, after they were getting creamed, I thought. Oh, I thought he got there... I thought he got there at the beginning, because then Kurt waves, like, Hi, Dad, see, I really am a football. Oh, okay, maybe it was just that, like, Kurt waved whenever his dad got there. Oh, okay. It it doesn't much matter. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the game goes real bad. They're down to the last, like, 15 minutes of play, down by six points, which I'd like to point out, I don't know much about football, but six points is literally only, like, it's, I, th I think that's one touchdown. So, so they've actually, that means that McKinley High School's actually been playing a pretty good defensive game against this team if they've only gotten six points scored against them in the 60 minutes of playtime or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe the implication is that all football teams in Ohio are bad. I mean, probably also that. <laughs> they, they do mention having lost to the football team, the school of the deaf. And keep that in your pocket, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> They're about to start and Finn calls a timeout. Yeah, because... Looking back comes in as Finn looks at Kurt and Quinn and the clock and thinks real hard. And he comes up with an idea. We need to do the meme dance. Yes. We need to create the meme dance. And Puck finally decides that he's going to be a team player for once in this episode. And makes some your mama jokes at the other football team, which puts them off their guard. Because it's literally, 
I slept with your mother. I actually slept with your mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice Star Wars sheets. Yup. Then they get to do single ladies, and, like, the crowd gets into it, and they do a really good job. Also, I'd like to point out that this is, like, Kurt is still benched. This is the football team doing the dance without Kurt in this part of the game. Yeah, they were literally just doing it to throw off their opponents and also to, like, relax and stuff. Also, there is a quick shot of one of the opposing players starting to dance, too, and (laughs) another teammate has to grab him and stop him. Yeah. Yeah, which I honestly, like, I really liked that. And then they manage to get a touchdown. Finn throws it and Puck catches it and runs it into the end zone. And they win! No, not yet. Or not they win, they tie. They tie. Because now it's time for Kurt to come out. Yeah. Well, not come out, but also come out. Yeah, yeah. Puck does his little end zone dance and I'm like, okay, we get it, Dancing Man. You're going to be in, you're going to, you're going to go join Glee. We get it. (laughs) But... Ken comes over to Kurt and he's like, you have to make this kick or you're going to die. And Kurt is like, can I pee first? Which, relatable. But also, no. Yeah. And he goes out onto the football field and his dad says he's so little because Chris Colford does in fact look absolutely puny in these football pads. Yeah, so Kurt, he does the dance, he makes the kick, he scores. Not Degrassi, fuck. McKinley! (laughs) That's the wrong high school show, Tanner. But yeah, so Kurt Kurt makes the kick. Bert is so proud of his son. I think at one point even he even is yelling like, "That's my son." Yeah, and he's like viciously shaking the people around him in mm-hmm. joy. And Ken is going to ascend to a higher plane of existence because McKinley High School has actually won a football game. I'm going to assume the first in his career. Probably yes. Makes sense. Like, they have a fun moment where Finn is over there immediately, like, lifting Kurt on his shoulders because they're so proud, and they celebrate, and then Finn goes off to, like, kiss Quinn on the sidelines, and Puck is unhappy about that, and he stalks off the field. Yes, uh, the the music cuts out as he walks away, and this was the part where I started to care about Puck. The the audio editing in this scene, like like I'm gonna take a tech moment here. The audio editing in the in the big game scene was really good. The whole they did a lot of like use of like we're gonna just like cut everything, just so you, so all you see is like the football arcing over the field or whatever. Yeah, like the whole episode has great mo- moments of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I wrote down, Finn gets the girl, Finn gets the glory, and Puck is just there. Yeah, and it's like. This and another scene later is when Puck realizes that Quinn was kind of right about him, and he has to start making an effort to be a better person. Okay, I will give you that. Because there's a jumping around a little bit, but there's a scene from the next day where Quinn and Finn are talking to each other, and Puck comes up and starts uh, basically mocking Quinn, but not actually revealing to Finn that he knows about the baby. He, well, I mean, he does know about the baby because Finn told oh, him that's that right. Quinn was pregnant. How did I forget yeah, that? Yeah, but, but, but Puck is negging Quinn. I wonder if it's also maybe to like, hey, I'm going to say this real loud so that maybe people overhear. Yeah, but like, they call him out and then he just stops and he apologizes and walks away. And it's like, oh, hey, you, yeah. <laughs> you learned something. Before we, like, actually, like, wrap up with Kurt, um, like, the scene is really touching because Finn gives Quinn his baby blanket from when he was a baby oh, that yeah. his dad got for him. 
And he's like, I like, I really cared about this because it was really important to me and my dad, who died in the war, gave it to me before he died in the war, and I want my, I want, I want our baby to have it. And I was like, oh, Finn, you sweet dumb idiot boy. You des- he deserves the world. Yes. Anyway, back to Kurt. Back to where we, st- back to literally where we started the episode. Yeah. Fun fact here, um, Kurt has the entire basement of his family's house to himself. Ugh. All of that is just his room. I had a friend like that once. Yeah. But the, the, there was a pretty wealthy family. Their house was basically an estate. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But yeah, Kurt's doing his, like, his nighttime skincare routine or whatever, and Bert comes down and Kurt's immediately like, Oh, I do this after every football game. <laughs> And Bert does the whole, like, I'm proud of you, son. Yeah, you did real good. You're good at football. And I'm glad you're happy. And your mom would have been... I wish your mom could have been there to see it back when she was alive. Yeah. (laughs) Because we have to know that Kurt's mom is dead. Just to establish it. Yeah. Just to establish that Kurt only has a dad. And Finn only has a mom. You know, I don't think they were thinking that far ahead when they first wrote this. No, I don't think so, but... I actually, I think, uh, way back when the show first started, someone pointed out that this is actually really uh, intelligent for them to write in, because, remember, 2009, this is the part where you could really easily say, oh, well, your kid's gay because they don't have a father figure in their life. Oh, okay, that's true. And so this is the show basically being able to say, the kid only has a masculine father figure in his life, and he's still turning out like this. So it's just an inherent thing. It just happens. That's true. That is a good point that I did not take into consideration. So thank you. Now, of course, I don't know if that was the writer's intent, but it's definitely something that makes sense and holds mm-hmm. up really well. Yeah. So then then like here's another really heartwarming moment. Um, Kurt comes out to his dad, who has known the entire time, but really appreciates Kurt telling him. Yeah. I knew ever since you were three, all you wanted for your birthday was a pair of sensible heels. Mm-hmm. He, now, he does say that he's not thrilled by the idea, but he's going to support Kurt, and he's yeah, he's happy that he told him, and he's proud of him either way, and he loves him just the same. Yeah. And so this, this is where, let, let's talk about Bert, because everything yes. about all of his scenes in this episode, from him looking kind of concerned at the beginning of the episode... To him going to the football game and saying, oh, he's so little. To this scene, all of it just reads as Bert thinking, how am I going to protect my kid, my wonderful perfect son, mm-hmm. from this shitty country and this shitty town? Yes. Which is like, oh, that's so good. And I know that I know that Bert Hummel had a bit of a rough start in the beginning of this episode. But believe us, listeners... He almost entirely gets better from this point on because Michael Malley is a fantastic actor and they wrote, a, they did a really good job with writing Bert. And I really read the tension coming off of the first scene as Bert thinking, oh, this is where Kurt's going to come out. Okay, prepare yourself, Bert. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Make sure he's supported. Da, 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 da. And then Kurt is just like, no, yeah, and I'm on the football team and Tina is my side piece and I am heterosexual. And Bert's just like, okay. I'm going to go watch Deadliest Catch. Maybe you'll come out tomorrow? Yeah. (laughs) My son will come out (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It was real good. There's a good quote at the end that I'm going to 
that I'm pulling up so that I can read it off. Uh, well, first, let's just quickly mention that we do have three new football boys in Glee Club. Yeah. We have it's... Puck, Mike, and Matt. Yeah, Puck, Mike, Matt. The ones who I named earlier. Exactly. <laughs> from the dance scene. So now the Glee Club has 12 members. They can compete in regionals and sectionals. I don't it... know if the 12 members is... A... Oh, no, yeah, they did mention 12 members yeah, they, already they in did, the show. They did mention it, except for the fact that they only have 11 because Rachel quit. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot to mention, we, another thing we forgot to mention in the scene where Will confronts Rachel is that Rachel, that's Rachel's last appearance until the end of the episode. Yeah, that's true. She's absent for like two thirds of this show. Yeah, which is kind of weird, but you know what? That's okay, because just like they say in the episode, everyone deserves the spotlight. Yeah, Rachel. Mm-hmm. We get to finish up the episode with Sue having, with, we get to have another Sue's Corner Corner. Which is played over uh, Tina keeping her solo and Rachel quitting Glee and joining the joining the musical and stuff. And then, like, Sue has actually, like, a pretty decent quote. I'm going to read the most relevant parts because it opens up about a tangent that's not real. That's not super great. Actually, it's pretty terrible about homeless people. Um, yeah, like, read the quote first. <laughs> the re- Read that one. Okay. No, no, read read the inspiring part first. Oh, okay. Uh, her quote is, You know something, Ohio? It's not easy to break out of your comfort zone. People will tear you down, tell you you shouldn't have bothered in the first place. But let me tell you something. There's not much of a difference between a stadium full of cheering fans and an angry crowd screaming abuse at you. They're both just making a lot of noise. How you take it is up to you. Convince yourself they're cheering for you. You do that, and one day, they will. And that's how Sue sees it. And it's a really good quote. And we'll just disregard the parts in this person that where she tells the homeless people to give not being homeless a try. Yeah. Yeah. Because at this point, after, listen, after six years of this, and however many intervening years, I'm just kind of desensitized to everything that comes out of Sue's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a real person. No, she's not. She was built in a lab. Oh, God. To own the libs. Oh no. <laughs> no. We cannot get into that on this podcast. So anyways, the moral of the story of this episode is something about being yourself and also teamwork and trying to figure out what it means to actually take one for the team. Very few people learned this lesson in the Glee Club, but I guess everyone learned the lesson in football because yes. they they uh had the bravery to be Beyonce. Yes. And I'll, we should also mention that the episode just closes with like a zo- like a like a zoom in on Quinn leaning up against the lockers, being sad after after Will and Terry are like asleep in bed, and Will's watching this. Quinn's sad because she's like, "Hmm, do I sell my baby?" Yeah. So that's not great. I was gonna bring a a set dressing corner to this, but I don't have. A good enough image. I could, I could read, I could describe to you the image that I took of the inside of Quinn's locker. Sure. Uh, so Quinn's locker has what appears to be some kind of pink foam magnet lettering on the inside wall of her locker, and then on the inside of the door, she has magnet poetry, a picture of people that I couldn't make out on my television. It might just some be stock photo. Stock photo, maybe. Um, we have stock photos in our house. You do? 
Yeah, and I only found out that they were stock photos, like, a few years ago, because I thought they were just distant cousins that we don't yeah. interact with. My parents like, no, we like the picture frame, but we don't have any pictures for it, so we just kept the stock family in there. Oh gosh, that reminds me. One of my, one of my dad's friends, his daughter, one year, went around and just replaced, like, several photos from, like, the family photos going up a stair with pictures of Nicolas Cage. <gasps> Because she is incredible. That and is I wish excellent. That I, I wish that I thought of it. If we had picture frames in in this current house, I would do that to my roommate for April Fool's Day. That's an but extremely hey, good prank. That one's for free, y'all. <laughs> but yeah, the rest of Quinn's Locker is just some kind of a poster about Celebrate. Or no, I think it's a poster for Celebrate Celibacy. <laughs> uh, some kind of an angel magnet. Uh, it's a bookmark of a cross silhouetted against the sky and some kind of a keychain that looks like it might be a clear porcelain baby. Or not clear porcelain, clear plastic baby on a keychain. Huh. Yeah. That's probably one of those keychains where it's like, here's what your baby looks like at one week. I I don't know. But yeah, so that's been uh, set dressing with Christina. All right. So let's move on to Gold Star Song. Was there a Gold Star Song? I don't think so. I'll I'll give it to tonight just because I think Tina sings it better than yeah, Rachel I, sings Taking Chances. I, I will give it to tonight as well because both of those are good and also because it's the first time that Tina's had a specific solo. So she deserves it. Exactly. Tina deserves the world. Yes. And I started the episode. So Christina, what was your um what were your gold star moment? I I think my gold star moment has to be um has to be Finn stepping up and taking a lot of responsibility in this episode. Because like he does a really good job with like like both Cory Mon Cory Monteith does a good job with acting, but also like Finn does a good job of like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna step up as a leader and I'm gonna step up and be there for my girlfriend. Uh, and our possible future child, um, and I'm gonna, and I want to be there and help out my teammates. And it's like that's being a good leader. Will take notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's extremely good. Um, but because I'm a sucker for it, what's yours, I Tanner? To, I have to go with Kurt coming out. Yes, that is good too. This this is the second episode in a row where where you have given Kurt. Uh, Kurt a gold star for coming out. Hmm. Is he my favorite character? I actually can't remember. I was going to say, sources say yes. So sources say maybe, at least in this season? Yeah. Uh, now, what was your slushy moment? Um, I think my slushy moment is going to be that, uh, that, that Murphy stank scene where Terry just appeared in Quinn's car with, hello, I have pregnancy vitamins for you. Give me your baby, please. <laughs> I, I can't bring myself to hate that moment because it's so preposterous. That that was mine because it was just it, it was just really creepy. What's yours then? If it's you not have that. to understand that you like I I'll dislike something if it gets real if it gets dumb, but if it passes a certain threshold, it just loops back around and I love it again. Yeah. Um Oh gosh, what was my worst moment? Was there anything in this episode that I particularly disliked? Uh, Sadie Ryerson? He was here. No, because he, in the context of the episode, he's fine. 
Uh, Rachel thinking the world revolves around her. Puck being a puck being a homophobe. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the one I'll st- I'll pick because he lays it on real thick, and it's like, okay, we get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is not great. You know what he's fixing? He's learning. This is a show about learning. <laughs> is it? Allegedly. <laughs> Maybe at some point they'll learn something. There's a moral in here somewhere, and we're not gonna find it if we unless we keep podcasting. That's very true. Um, by the way, this is one of my mom's favorite episodes. Oh, really? But she, of course, she's not a Gleek the way I am, so she doesn't know the season or the name or a number or anything like that, or even the songs involved. She just says, I love the episode where Kurt's on the football team, and he does this, and then she does the hand wave that they do in the dance. Tana, your mom sounds great. She's a delight. Kurt is my most favorite character with a bullet. That one's non-debatable. Aw. But yeah, I mean, I I guess that's it. I believe that's it for this episode. Uh, so you have any? Do you have any other fun facts? I think we covered the funnest facts. This I, is the. S- yeah. I don't think so. I didn't get a chance to look up any of like the production notes or whatever before, and so I don't have any trivia. So we can just honestly call it there. I'm just seeing if there's anything important going on in the trivia page on the wiki. Um, yeah, shoot. It's really, it's really just continuity notes. Well, that's a uh, that's that's great of them. It's like, hey, did you know that this scene is letter referenced later on in the show? I'm like, yeah, this is how storytelling works. Generally, Power Rangers take notes. <laughs> anyway, uh, should we go ahead and do the wrap up? Well, let's wrap things up. Okay. Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know and we'll work on getting there. We can be found at Loser Like Me Pod on Twitter and through LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com. Before we, like, if you want to put this in the end, like, next episode is The Road's Not Taken, and I am pumped! <laughs> I'm so excited, like... The, the Christian Chenoweth Respector has logged on? No, mostly, um, mostly because they do Somebody to Love, and, like, that shit slaps. <laughs> oh, right, that is that episode. But also, yes, Christian Chenoweth is, is generally a delight, so, that too. And, and that's, that's what, what you missed, missed on, on Glee! Glee. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now As we riff the show Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out Why we love the show Better grab your golden stars and slushies Cause you're listening You're listening To loser like me Loser like me Loser like me let me scroll back to where my notes are. Um, <laughs> so at, at one point I have the note in here that this episode synonym for vagina is boy howdy. 